Thanks for tuning in to the Middle School Ministry Podcast for Cornerstone Chapel. Let's head into the service and see what Pastor Turner has to share this week. Romans chapter 8. Here we go tonight. We're going to continue through our discussion about evolution and creation and those things when we started it last week. Our verse that we're going to keep in through this series is going to be Revel- uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. Let's, let's read it together. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not on its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word tonight. Thank you for the time of worship, Lord. Uh, And Lord, I just think of um, the song that we sing, Give Me Faith, Lord, to trust what you say. Lord, we have to bank our whole eternity on your word. And Lord, your word is just and your word is true. And Lord, I pray that you would establish that in our hearts, even tonight, Lord, as we look at these claims and these uh, beliefs of people that do not trust you, that do not know you. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our faith. You would strengthen our resolve to love you and to live for you and to be bold for you, Jesus. For we we know, Lord, that the rapture could occur at any moment. Lord, we know that you could sound the trumpet. And so, Lord, it's not a matter of when, it's a matter of how we're going to live our lives until that day comes. Are we going to live a life that glorifies you or are we going to live a life that we would be ashamed of if we had to stand before you? And so, Father, I pray that you would put in our hearts a deeper trust and understanding of your word and, Lord, that you would just truly break our hearts for yours, Lord. So, Lord, we give you permission tonight to be here to teach us in this Bible study as we look to you and as we look for your word to teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Romans chapter 8. Last week I talked about this verse a little bit, and it's really, uh, it was talking about how all of creation was subject to frustration and decay. Decay meaning breaking down, getting worse. You know, decay, when something decays, it's, it's actually breaking down. It's, it's uh, falling apart. Um, and I gave the analogy of a, of a car. If you took a, a car and you put it in a field by itself and you left it there and you came back 50 years from now, what condition would that car be in? Much worse condition than it was when you left it there because the weather, just the environment would have its way with it. It would probably be rusty and faded paint and the tires would probably be flat and the windows would be dirty. And so what we've noticed is that naturally, left alone, things get worse. They don't get better. They fall out of order rather than getting in order. Evolutionists and creationists are opposed to one another because of that very fact. Evolutionists say that everything started a mess and it's getting better. Creationists believe that everything started great and it's getting worse. And I'll explain why those two things are opposed to each other and why they believe that. Now, that's a very basic description. Last week, we talked about that. And Romans talks about here in this thing, it says that it was subject, in this verse, it was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. The reason that it happened was because sin entered the world. 
Adam was created in paradise, sin entered the world, sin begins to corrupt the entire world, the whole fabric of creation is touched by sin, and therefore it's moving from order and beauty and perfection into disorder and disharmony and far from perfection. (laughs) If you don't believe me, why do we have hurricanes? Why do we have tornadoes? Why is the weather the way it is? Why is the environment the way it is? Why when you you have your room nice and clean, a week later you're like, didn't I just clean my room and it's a mess already? right? (laughs) Or your locker at school, right? Some of you guys are dreading the end of the school year because you know you have to clean that thing out, right? You're probably going to find a sandwich at the bottom that's been there for like, you know, months. All right. When you think about the debate between creationism and evolution and intelligent design and and all that, there's two two questions that I wanted to bring up that I think are common that that we as Christians get from people that believe that. The first one is, is why couldn't God use evolution to create the earth? Why couldn't he, cre- why couldn't he use evolution to create the earth? The other one is, what about the dinosaurs? Because that's always a big problem for people. They say, we have all these bones. You know, what happened? Where were they? Why, you know, how did they die? What was the case with them? So we're going to talk about this whole thing, what we call a long or an old earth, and we're going to talk about the dinosaurs. Okay, so let's start with the first one. Why couldn't God have used evolution to create the earth? And this is an interesting one because I've heard people say, and there are actually, uh, the Mormons actually believe in this, that, you know, the Mormons are not Christian, they're a cult, but they uh, have twisted the Bible, and they believe that, you know, God could have used the evolutionary process to bring us to our current condition. Okay, now, why couldn't God do that? Why couldn't God use, have used evolution, you know, to start with slime and have things come together, and then from the slime out came a tadpole? You know, I'm fast-forwarding it, you know, of course, because scientists could give you a much better, you know, detailed description. Uh, from a tadpole to, uh, you know, whatever the next evolutionary process says was, to the next one, to the next one, eventually you're an ape, and then you're from an ape to an ape man, and then you're a man, right? And it's kind of like this, you've guys seen the poster with, like, the... the the, it starts off like on the ground, and then it's slowly, and it's like a guy. You've seen this? Right. And why couldn't God do that? Why couldn't he do that up to Adam, and then from Adam, then start the story of, you know, the Bible? Well, there's a couple of reasons that he can't do that, okay? First of all, when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and if you want to flip back there, you can. Genesis chapter 1, in, in the beginning, you know, when, when God was, when we get the, the record or the account of Genesis 1, and we talked about how reliable this account is because people are like, well, no one was there. How do we know it's true? Listen, I talked to you guys about how Noah at the flood could have spoken directly to one of Adam's sons. They were contemporaries. They lived in the same age. Noah lived to be very old. So did Adam's sons. Adam could have talked to his dad who told him how he was made. Adam walked and talked with God before he was evicted from the Garden of Eden. I'll get it. What phone is that? Wow, that's Barrett's phone. Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. Nothing like killing the mojo, right? Wow. Hey, do me a favor, everybody. If you could just silence your cell phones, that'd be great for me. Thank you. Okay, back on track. Back on track, guys. Back on track. So Adam gets evicted out of the garden, and, and 
that's when sin enters the world. And so we see the account here, and we were talking about how Noah could have been a contemporary of one of Adam's sons. So his, Adam speaks to his son, tells him the story, right? I went to breakfast with my daughter for her birthday this week. In fact, her birthday was yesterday. Maggie, congratulations, happy birthday. Yay. That's good. So we go to breakfast for... We go to breakfast for her birthday, and she, I was talking to her about my first job that I ever had. And so she's listening to me talk to her about my first job. She could probably relay that, uh, that story very well to you, especially since it was just yesterday. Yeah, she could probably tell you ex- what my first job was, how old I was, in detailed account, right? So what if she grew up with me telling her that story again and again and again and again. She'd probably know every detail. She could probably tell like the back of her hand. Okay, you do not think that Adam talked to his children about God, how he talked and walked with God and how he saw him and all the incredible things that he got to do with his life, like naming all of the animals and being in the Garden of Eden in the paradise, talking to that serpent. You know, you don't think he didn't share that with his kids. And then here is his son who knew that story firsthand from his dad. You don't think that he didn't share that with Noah, who was a righteous man, meaning one who feared God? I believe that happened. Noah gets off the ark, his three sons, and then a generation and a half later, you have the written account that's given to us. So it's really not, even though it's hundreds of years, it's really not that far-fetched to believe how that story could last with integrity through those generations. So you've got Genesis chapter 1. So we... Verify the account. It's, it's a good, worthy account. We can believe it. But there's a particular word that God uses in Genesis chapter 1 that's important for us that, that totally dispels the evolutionary process because he uses the word day. Day. Yom. It's a Hebrew word, yom, day. And it's a literal day. Okay? And every time that it's used in context with the Bible in the Old Testament in that Hebrew word, it's a literal day, 24-hour process. Okay? Now, someone came up to me last week and said, well, isn't there a verse that talks about a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord? Yes, there is a verse. In fact, there's twice. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it talks about it. It comes from... Uh, Psalm 90, verse 4, and this is what it says. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. This is what the psalmist was writing in reference to God and his judgment. Peter, one of the disciples, when he wrote in in 2 Peter, when he wrote it in chapter 3, verse 8, he said, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, is he saying that a thousand years is a day to the Lord or it is, a, it is like a day? It is like a day. Both the psalmist and Peter use the word like, meaning that it is not in context with being a legitimate 24-hour day. The Lord doesn't have a thousand years and that's like one day for him. That's not what it's saying. It's implying that he's slow to mercy. He's slow in compassion. He's long-suffering. That's what those verses are in reference to. In, they're talking about God's judgment, how God does not quickly and swiftly bring judgment on the earth. That it's, he's slow and he's merciful and he's abounding in compassion and he's slow to anger. He's willing to wait and wait and wait and wait, almost as if he's saying, God will wait a thousand years, it's just like a day for him. He lives in, in eternal 
space and time. There is no beginning, there is no end. So what is a day to the Lord? What is a thousand years to the Lord? It's nothing. It's nothing. So you have to take things in context. So when the Bible says that it was a day, you know, he says, let there be light on the first day, and it was good, and he separated light and darkness, and, and he says, and that was the first day, the first yom, first day. And he goes through each one of the days in the, in the six days of creation, and he says, and that was the third day, and that was the fourth day, and that was the fifth day. Now, why would he be so literal and so, um, and, and he, so descriptive if he didn't mean it? Why would God be so literal if he didn't mean it? Because he meant it. And he was being literal because he meant it. Listen, why is it so difficult for us to believe that God could create the earth in six days? Why is that so difficult for us? I mean, what are the things that God does? Just look at the accounts of Jesus in the New Testament. What did he do as a man as he walked the earth? He defied physics. He walked on water. He defied science. He raised the dead. He defied medical technology. He healed the sick with a word. He forgived sin. He did things that no one else can do, and he was God with skin on. He claimed to be God. So it's as if God was proving to us, look, I did this. I can. This is nothing for me. Now, there are plenty of verses in the psalms where the psalmist refers to god and his amazing ability to do things he talks about how literally the creation is like a a, a burst from his nostrils like the all the expanse of the sea can be held in his palm of his hand and his greatness and those things are attributes of our god they're 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 giving us imagery so that we can relate the incredible vastness of who god is and his power and his authority and how he's not like us how he's greater than us now, so the first one is, is why couldn't God have used evolution to create the earth? Because the Bible, first of all, states that he didn't. So that's the first one, is that the Bible says that he didn't. He said six days, that was enough. That's all he needed, okay? And that's what he did. But we're gonna go deeper into why when we answer the dinosaur question, because this, is an, this ties in with it. So let's go to number two. What about the dinosaurs? Well, if you look at dinosaurs, we have scientists that are telling us that dinosaurs ruled the earth for a period of time, that they did not coexist with mankind. Uh, The common belief for dinosaurs is that they pre-existed mankind, they lived for a period of time ruling the earth, and then they died out suddenly for some reason, and then after that, man emerged onto the scene after millions of years. And so they they, they believe that they could not have coexisted. They believe they did not coexist. Now, Pastor Gary talked about this when he did the Q&A, and he uh, gave some pretty cool facts about dinosaurs, about just the fossils that we've discovered, um, that an overwhelming majority of the dinosaurs were no bigger than a horse. Okay, So the majority of the dinosaurs were no bigger than a horse. So now that just kind of that kind of evens the playing field a little bit for man to be able to coexist. So even if they were meat eaters and they were really fast, like the movie, you know, Jurassic Park depicts them, you know, like the velociraptors, you know, those things, you know, it's like, even if they were only a size of horse, man's pretty smart. And we do know for a fact that dinosaurs had really small brains. 
you don't, it's not a stretch to believe that you could outsmart a dinosaur. I'm just saying. It's not a stretch. Who's ever seen a crocodile? Okay. Do you know the best way to survive if a, tro- a crocodile is chasing you? Zigzags. Play dead. I don't think that's going to work. Stay away from the croc tank at the zoo. You will not make it. <laughs> no, you zigzag. Why do you zigzag? Right. They're limited. How did we figure that out? A lot of people die because we're smarter than them. Listen, listen, this is basic. This is basic, right? God told Adam, listen, God told Adam, I give you dominion over all of the animals. In other words, you have authority over them. You have, you're, we're always going to be smarter than the animals. Now, they have a wisdom of their own. For instance, birds know how to migrate, and that's an instinctual thing that God's placed in them, that they will travel to where they need to be to mate and to be warm and all those type of things, and fish will school together and those type of things. There will be, uh, there'll be certain aspects of their, of their habitat and the way that they live that man won't necessarily immediately understand, and it's put in, in that animal. But we are still the ones that are making flying machines. We are still the ones that are coming up with incredible things and developing and inventing and because our brains are far more developed and because we've been given authority over them. That's why we can put animals in zoos. They're not putting us in zoos. It's not like Planet of the Apes. We are the ones that have authority over them because God's established that. Why do you have a dog? Does your dog rule over you? No. The first time your dog tries to rule over you, what do you do? You kick it. You exercise your dominion over it. Listen, this isn't a commentary about that, and it didn't happen. I was just proving a point to us. But the dinosaurs could have coexisted because the majority of them were only about the size of a horse. So when Noah, who brought animals on the ark, he could have easily brought them on the ark. Now, after the ark, okay, after the, the flood, the earth was radically changed. I mean, he flooded the entire earth. The entire earth was covered with water and that water receded back into the ground and evaporated up into the clouds and it took a long time to happen. And as that happened, there was tectonic uh, shifting on the plates. We know in Genesis, it talks about uh, a great quake or a great move that occurred. And we think that, that's, that what happened was is if you look at the globe and you can see sort of the outlines of the, of the continents, how they could fit together. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, you ever wonder why that could have happened? Because they were all together. They were all together. The flood came and they all separated as the flood waters received. They floated away to where they are and they settled. Now that's a stretch and people are like, oh, I don't know if I can believe that. It happens all the time. When you see flooding, when you see flooding occur in a region, it will create little islands on its own, naturally. It will move land on its own. Beaches erode. Things like that happen. This is a natural process. It happens. It happened because of the flood. I believe that when that environment changed, the, the dinosaurs were not capable of living. They're not smart. Okay? They have peanut brains. The smart ones had walnut-sized brains. They weren't smart. Okay? And they didn't last. It's simple. There's been many, many creatures that have not been able to last through time because of those very reasons, because of the weather and the change of the environment. Okay, so that's one. Okay, uh, so when you look at a biblical worldview about dinosaurs, and you think about 
Well, you know, here they were. They, they, maybe a few made it on the ark. Maybe after the ark, they died off after a period of time. That's fine. And, and maybe they did. And I think that they did. But this plays into two questions that I have, okay? Number one is, uh, or two, two points that I want to make. Number one is that when God made everything after six days, and said, he said that everything was good. That's what he says. In fact, he says seven different times in the first uh, 20 verses or so that it was good or it was very good. Now, I want to ask you a question. If, if, uh, if I gave you a, a bouquet of flowers and I just picked them and I gave them to you and they were just beautiful and fresh and they smelled great and I put a little ribbon around them and, and you're like, these are good, right? You'd look at them good. Now, what if I waited two weeks and I gave them to you? What would you say? Yeah. <laughs> eh, nice, it, thanks for thinking of me, right? It's not that good, is it? Because of why? Because they are dead. They're dead, right? So when, things are, when there's life, it's good. When there's death, it's not good. It's pretty safe to say that, right? So we know that when God made Adam and he made all of creation, it was pre-sin. It was before sin entered the world. That's why God can say it was good, because there was no sin in the garden before Adam and Eve uh, fell. There was no sin. So he can say, this is good. This is very good. This is good. I like this. This is good. And it was teeming with life, and there was great things happening. All the creatures were being fruitful and multiplying, and it was beautiful. The, the temperature was perfect. It was paradise, Okay. He can say it was good. Then the fall comes, and what happens? Sin enters the world. It's no longer very good because now death has entered the world. We are told that the wages of sin is death. Death did not enter the world until sin occurred. Now, this is important for you to understand. Two reasons. Number one, in order for us to believe that the evolutionary process led up to Adam and Eve being created, like the Mormons believe, falsely, that means that death would have had to enter the world before Adam and Eve. Because how can you evolve and live and die and then something come out of that and die and come out of that and die without death being on the scene? It can't happen. Death entered the scene because of sin. Sin occurred from Adam and Eve. The dinosaurs did not live long before and there was not a long old earth that evolved up into what we have because in order for that to have happened, death would have had to have been evident on the planet. And death was not evident on the planet until after the fall that's found and mentioned in Genesis. So dinosaurs couldn't have predated, and we couldn't have had a long earth, an old earth. It was a young earth, and it was, it, dinosaurs coexisted with mankind. Okay, You have to hold it all in perspective with what it is. So when an evolutionist says, oh yeah, we could have came from, we, we've, we've evolved from apes and all that stuff, and, and here's the other one that gets me, and I've never had anyone been able to do this. I asked them, well, what was the process? Millions, millions of years. Okay, when were the dinosaurs? Well, they, were, they predated man. They were millions of years before man. Okay, cool. We have their bones, right? Yeah, we've got their bones to prove it. Okay, so man's here, dinosaurs here. Where's the, where's the bones of the things in between? Also known as transitional fossils. Where's the, where's the, where's the one that's part bird part dinosaur where's the one that's part ape part man where's the one that's you know where are the transitional fossils we do not have them we've got dinosaurs and we've got people that's what we've got and that's the integrity of what we have it's not like those things that were in between you know evolving that they just dissolved away that's not the case because we've got older fossils that are pre predate them that we have 
So why wouldn't we have fossils of the in-between condition and state of creation? We don't, because there isn't one, because the Bible is true and it's just. Yes? I have heard of the coelacanth, and it's a, it, is an, it is actually a species all of its own. It's not a transitional. The fish with feet and all? Yeah. It is, we'll talk about it afterwards, but I love when you bring this stuff up, because... In, there's a stretch that you have to bring. I'll, we'll talk about after service, okay? Because I, I do know about that. Here's what I want to point to for you. Here's what I want to point to. What does this mean for our faith? What does this mean for our faith? That, uh, you know, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? What does it mean? If, what if I do believe evolution, but I also believe Jesus died on the cross for me? What's the big deal? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. Here's the problem is that God's either completely true, 100% accurate, true, and right, or he's not. And Jesus is either 100% who he said he was, or he's not. He's either Lord or he's a lunatic that said he was God. And the Bible is either true or it's false. There is no in-between. Because if it is true 100%, then you have to come and you have to, you have to approach the Bible by be, being willing to take the worldview that you've been taught and set it aside and look at the biblical view that God's given to us. It's hand, he's handed down from, to us from his own throne and conform your faith around that rather than change God to fit your ideas and your descriptions. You see, it means a lot to us for our faith because If you can't believe the Bible is true, then how can you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for you? How can you believe that you're gonna go and be with him forever in heaven? How can you believe that your sins are washed away and that you can stand before him by faith justified because of what he did on the cross? Because if you can't believe that, then why why you even believe in any of it? When you begin to saturate it with lies, you dilute the truth and you sway and move away from what is accurate and right and what God's given to us. Paul exhorted Timothy to hold firm to the truth and do not sway from it. Hold your ground. He says, because there's going to come a day when there will be all of these crazy beliefs just floating through the culture. And they're going to try and pull you away from the truth, the foundation, the reality of what we know. This is huge in the grand perspective of things for your faith because the either, words of the Bible are either true or they're not. The life of Jesus is either true or not. And that means that if you can't trust the past that God's given us historically, then how can you trust the future? If God lied about the past and he's not been honest with us and, and this account in Genesis is not true, then how can you possibly trust the future that he said he's promised for you? It all ties together. And see, a lost and dying world that's full of deception is trying to feed you in the public schools in in this evolutionary tale. They're trying to feed it to you. They don't believe in the gospel. They don't believe in the word of God. They've strayed away from it. There was a time when we actually used the Bible as a textbook in our classrooms. Now you can't even bring your Bible to school half the time. Teachers get all worked up about it. I brought my Bible to the courtroom today and people were looking at me like I had a third eye or something. It's a Bible. I mean, this is our culture, okay? 
You have to be aware of what's going on around you. You have to be aware of the popular mindset around you. And by the way, the evolutionary theory did not develop. It, it developed in the 1800s. It's a relatively new theory. And it's being disproved by science all of the time. That's why I can't believe that people would grasp so strongly to something that has, is full of holes. But yet we've got the word of God that's lasted from generation to generation, tested in every generation. People have sought out to disprove the Bible, but yet they always find themselves trying to disprove something that can't be disproven because it is the truth. I dare you. If you don't believe it, disprove it to me. You'll end up being a believer. So the evolutionary process and dinosaurs, they're hinged on this one thing. When did death enter the world. Death entered in the garden when Adam sinned, and that's when everything began to decay, and that's when everything went from order to chaos. Now, God will bring it back to order again. The evolutionists believe that everything went from chaos, and it's getting better. If it's getting better, then why have I, in the past six years, developed a large patch of gray hair on my face? (laughs) If we were getting better, I would be looking more like Brad Pitt and less like an old man winter, okay? Just look in the mirror. Take a snapshot of yourself now and wait 10 years to take a snapshot of yourself and notice the wrinkles that are developing and the hair that's leaving you and the things that are the excess weight that begins to gather. Those things happen because our bodies are breaking down. They're not getting better. The world is getting worse. It's not getting better. We have to fight to make the world a better place. You always hear it. If it was getting better, it would just naturally be getting better. We wouldn't have to work so hard at it. The signs and the truths are all around us. Just open your eyes and look and just trust in God's word. And that's what, that's what God says. You have to come with him by faith. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, for I know that in truth, Lord God, you live, you breathed it. Lord, you are truth. And so, Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. I believe in your word. Lord, you've proven yourself to me time and time and time again, Lord God. And Lord, those that are in here that may be struggling with that, even tonight, Lord, I just ask that you would touch their heart, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. I just ask that you would show them your truth. I ask that you would uh, bring them a conviction from you, Lord, that your word is true, that in you is eternity. And that all of creation was your idea and your hand that worked it. And sinful man has come and tried to rob away your truth and bring deception. So Lord, we commit everything to you fresh and new tonight, Lord. Encourage us, Lord. May we be encouraged with this great truth that you've given to us, Lord, that you've entrusted to us, that we can live for it unhindered all of our life. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.